0: Welcome to episode 111 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Uh, Elliott. This is a weekly baseball podcast from Champaign, Illinois. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you're new to the program, this is a unique episode for us. It's our third annual uh, playoff preview, 10 guests uh, extravaganza. (laughs) Um, We interview 10 different guests to preview the 10 playoff teams. So, yeah, this is the third year, and we've recorded all those interviews, and we're excited for you to hear them uh, and get excited for the 2017 playoffs. Uh, We won't spend too much more of your time on the intro here. Uh, Paul, is there anything you'd like to add? No, I just uh, hope you enjoy the next two hours of content. Yeah, well, hopefully it's a little less than two hours. Maybe uh, you can listen to half of it on the way to work and the other half on the way home. There you go. You're assuming a long commute for our listeners. It's true. Or maybe if you're training for a marathon, you could listen to all of it. There you go. There you go. All right, so the 10 playoff teams, uh, this is the order in which we interviewed the guests for those teams. So we went Cubs, Astros, Indians, Diamondbacks, Rockies, Red Sox, Dodgers, Yankees, and Twins. And we also tweeted out the order, and then uh, on the podcast episode page on our website, we also listed times... Um, so, if you don 't care about most of the guests or just want to hear one or two, you can jump ahead. You will notice that the nationals aren 't listed on uh, on the, the teams there uh, after trying and unsuccess- unsuccessfully to set up an interview with many nationals writers and people that cover the team uh, I have similar to Donald Trump withdrawn my invitation <laughs> to the nationals fan base. They are no longer invited on. Uh, our our what I thought was friend Jamal from last year's episode who was great one of our favorites uh has shunned us and um so you're shunning him in return well so I offered it to him he has not re- replied and then I've also offered several other people the opportunity to be on uh, th- this episode and they have not accepted so uh I've withdrawn my offer the Cubs National rivalry. Uh, deep within me um, no longer being offered but it is still a 10 guest preview because we had two twins fans two twins podcasters on so still reach our minimum of 10 guests but you will not be hearing from the nationals they're going to lose to the cubs anyways so it's not even worth discussing Hmm. all that being said I think we can uh, get started here absolutely all right well uh, episode 112 will come out on Tuesday morning, it'll be our uh, personal preview of the, the playoffs, our predictions, and the different storylines that we're uh, looking forward to. Uh, we do have a playoff fantasy game. If you go to our website at footinthebox.com, you can find that there. Uh, you can win $50 by just picking a team of uh, players from the playoffs, uh, but you do have to pick one player from each team, uh, each of the 10 teams. So it's pretty fun, we had a lot of fun with it last year. So check that out, footinthebox.com. Make sure to get that in before the Ale Wilder game on Tuesday. Well, with that, here we go. The 2017 10 Guests playoff preview begins now.
1: There's only one October.
0: All right, our first guest on the podcast is a, is a friend of the podcast, uh, a listener of the podcast, our friend Garrett from Champaign. Garrett, uh, welcome to the program for the first time.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Peter.
0: Absolutely. Before we get into the Cubs talk, uh wanted to get your thoughts. Uh you know, this is just hours after you clinched the uh kind of the first ever foot in the box fantasy league title, so uh give your acceptance speech.
2: Oh well uh, you know, I, I would like to thank uh everyone who participated in the <laughs> in the draft and uh, you know, I wanted like to thank my mom, my dad and God of course. Mm, but yes. uh it's uh, It was a long season, and it was a hard-fought battle all the way up until the end. I think I spent first place for the entire season up except for like two weeks, and here we are.
0: Yeah, uh, a note to the listeners, Paul got last place, so that means he has to pay uh, double his registration fee. So.
2: Well, uh, and especially thank you to Paul.
0: Yes, yes. All right, uh, let's move on to the Cubs here. Um what are your thoughts as a Cubs fan going into the, the playoffs? I feel like it's very, very different from last year. Uh,
2: you know, it's a lot different. So I think I turned off baseball about September first last year because the Cubs had clinched mm-hmm. and there was nothing more to watch for. So this year I was you know, you know, or we all were really glued to, you know, are they gonna make it? Are they gonna are they actually going to win the division? We you know, there's worry that Milwaukee could take us, or even that St. Louis could take us, and you know, sure enough, what the Cubs went 12 and 6 against the Cardinals, and then somehow could not beat the Brewers at home, but would not be able to beat them in Milwaukee. You know, the last few days they showed that they're able to take a division, but yeah, they <laughs> they let the rest of the division fight them out for the last days.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's very different, and I feel like even the pressure on the team to perform well in the playoffs is uh, is not as strong. So uh, in your mind, is it already a successful season, or do they need to do something in the playoffs to make it a successful season?
3: So
2: you're looking at a team that uh, had just won the World Series. So with your question, to ask an even bigger question, you just won the World Series. Is this season even a success if they do? don't win the World Series. I would argue that, yes, uh, winning the division, 92 wins, is a successful season. You know, being a Cubs fan for the 32 years that I've been alive, but, I mean, they just won the World Series last year, so our hopes are high this year. (laughs) Uh, I uh, Yeah, I want them to repeat. I want them to uh, make it three NLCSs in a row. I want them to beat the Nationals uh they won the division I'm very happy but uh I just mean yeah I kind of I, I expect them to repeat that I want them to win the World Series again
0: mm. yes as do I uh you've been tweeting a lot about Kyle Schwarber and his uh maybe expectations that you have for his his playoffs 2017 playoffs uh do you feel like he's a key to postseason success or um are you expecting him to to go on a run here
2: so, um, three big questions that I have about the Cubs. Uh, number one is how does the rotation line up? Number two, who's in the out, or actually who's in the bullpen? Number three, who's in the outfield? So, uh, you just asked about number three, who's in the outfield. I I don't really expect Schwarber to be in the everyday lineup up until the world series. Hmm. Um, in the, uh, NLDS and the NLCS I do expect Schwarber to be manning left field against right-handed pitching so in the NLDS you'll be facing Gil Gonzalez in the third game so I expect Kyle Schwarber to be on the bench if they make it to the NLCS there's a lot of left-handers in that Dodger rotation I don't want to count out the wildcard teams but I'm going to for right now mm-hmm. so uh, I mean am I expecting big things out of Kyle Schwarber the The short answer is no the long answer is they will need it if they want to repeat so Schwarber has the very 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 rough first half of the season uh, was sent down from the minors and then came up and had a, a very successful second half of the season uh, he, he's a, he's a proven postseason, uh, performer. Mm-hmm. And if he had, does what he did last year in the World Series, the year before in, uh, the, uh, wild card game in the, uh, NLDS, the NLCS, then they'll have a good chance. But I don't think that he has the complete faith of his manager to get the playing time. So as far as big performances, I still think you're looking at your everyday starters. You're looking at Chris Bryant. You're looking at Anthony Rizzo. And whatever Kyle forward gives you is bonus.
0: Now going after your, your first big question with the Cubs, uh, how the, the rotation lines up. I know Madden's not going to release that until a couple of days before game one. Uh, how would you line up the, your, uh, your four playoff starters in uh, at least the division round?
2: So I'm a bit biased. Uh, I, I would put Jake Arrieta number one, no matter where we're at. But mm. I've been uh, I've been reading a lot, and uh, I, I like to try to be a little level-headed. I think the way that uh, Joe's going to go is it's going to be Cal Hendricks number one, John Lester number two, Jose Quintana number three, and Jake Arrieta. Actually, I think is going to be number three if he's healthy. If he's not, they will let him rest. Then uh, then Jose can hmm. the, uh The big question is, where are they going to put John Lackey? Uh, it looks like he's making the postseason roster. But, you know, in 2015, they had Dan Heron, and they left him off the postseason roster. In 2017, their fifth starter, John Lackey, looks like he's making the postseason roster but not getting the start. I don't know if John Lackey's ever made an appearance out of the bullpen, but that's what the Cubs would be asking him to do should Jake Arrieta not be as healthy as they would like him to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. The
2: big risk there, and uh I would kind of like them to have another, you know, fire in the bullpen, but, you know, he's taking Mackey on with him.
0: Well, yeah, with Lackey struggles in the first inning, I'm not sure... uh Nasher sure him out of the bullpen will be a, a slam-dunk success.
2: Uh, I mean, it seems like every co-starter has been struggling in the first inning.
0: <laughs> yes. All right, uh, well, give me your, your prediction. Uh, it sounds like you think they'll beat the Nationals, but uh, how many games will that series go?
2: Um, That really depends on the health of Max Derser. Uh I really think that... I think Sergio is going to make the uh, the start. So um, Kyle versus Max is going to be the key game. If Kyle can pull it off, I would give it to the Cubs in four. If if not, I would give it to the Cubs in five. But I still think the Cubs are going to move along in the NLDS.
0: Nice. Yeah, that would be uh, rather tough for the Nationals. They still have not won a playoff series in uh, in their time in D.C., so that's – that would be a fun thing to do to knock them out. Uh who who do you fear more from the Nationals? Uh Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Daniel Murphy, or uh Ryan Zimmerman, the big four. Uh,
2: well, uh you know, the 2015 in me uh heartbreak is going to tell you uh <laughs> Murphy. Oof. Yeah, exactly. Uh you know, I'm I'm a big war guy just like you are. Yeah. Anthony Rendon at third base is going to I, I, I see the Cubs hitting a lot of uh, doubles that don't go for doubles because Rendon is going to grab the ball. So I'm going to say Anthony Rendon just with his defense alone.
0: Yes. Uh, all right. Last question: Over/under uh, Trey Turner steals. Let's go. Uh, let's go. Four point five over/under Trey Turner steals in the series.
2: Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Cubs homer right here. I'm gonna say under because Contreras is gonna throw him out twice. Mm.
0: I'll go over. I say he gets at least three on Lester alone. So there you go. When's
2: the last batter to have three stolen bases <laughs> on Lester?
0: Uh I th- probably Turner. That game <laughs> that game that Montero Montero got released for. That I think that was Lester. Or was that? No, it was Arietta? Maybe it was Arietta. I forget. I think it
2: was Arietta and that's when uh Montero got cut.
0: Yeah. All right. Well we'll be watching just like Miguel uh in the playoffs. Um <laughs> Uh, Garrett, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on somewhat late notice. So uh, thanks All and right. congrats for uh, congrats on your uh, your fantasy title.
2: Yes, thank you, thank
0: you. All right, uh, thanks man.
2: There's only one October.
0: Our next team to preview is the AL West champion Houston Astros. And to talk about the Astros, we've got James from Astros County on the line. You can follow James on Twitter at Astros County, and you can read his work at AstrosCounty.com. Welcome, James.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's good to be back.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're happy to have you back. Um so, James, this has been uh you know a historically good season for the Astros. Probably gonna win uh, 100 games, you know, that'll be nearly a franchise record. And so, you know, having not followed the Astros super closely this year, I'm just curious. You know, what do you think the key difference has been for them, you know, going from uh, an 84-win team last year to, you know, potentially a 100-win team AOS champion in uh, in 2017?
4: You know, it's, it's the biggest difference from from last year to this year is, is you know, it's a combination of maturity and then some guys that they brought in. And I was never a huge believer in this idea of the veteran presence until now. I mean, mm-hmm. at this point, Carlos, Carlos Beltran is getting – He's getting paid like sixteen million a year, uh, or just for this season, I guess, a one-year deal. <clears throat> he's getting paid sixteen million to basically be like a a, a glorified manager. He's not. Uh, he he dropped off big time from last year, but he's been sort of a steadying presence and a guy that someone, uh, someone like Correa, like Altuve, can sort of look up to, and and learn from. And so his value has definitely not. I think he actually has a negative. Uh, war Hmm. but the the value that he's provided to the team i think is is sort of off the field in those quote-unquote uh intangibles um but you can't argue with i mean the astros catching core of of mccann and gaddis is is far more valuable than jason castro and gaddis and josh reddick is uh a definite upgrade over colby rasmus as much as i love you know folk hero colby rasmus so (laughs) The the guys that they brought in have have by and large done a done a really good job, and that's not even talking about Justin Verlander, uh, at the trade deadline. So I you know I think that they got off to a really hot start. They got really I mean they, you know I mean, I think at one point they were like sixty and twenty nine or or something like that earlier this season, and then and then some injuries caught up with them and. And I remember thinking, you know, if they only win 100 games, that's going to be a disappointment because that means something went wrong and, and something did go wrong, you know, between injuries to Keiko and McCullers and and Correa, you know, they, they sort of came back to earth a little bit, but the, just maybe hitting their stride at the right time.
0: Yeah, it's pretty unique. You know, Correa is probably their best player, at least, you know, him and Altuve are one one and two. It's unique to lose your uh, your best player, your second best player for a significant chunk of the season and still win. Uh, 100 games that's you don't you don't see that often so certainly um, an impressive season Um, when we look at the the starting rotation you know you mentioned Verlander uh, you know Keiko has also been pretty good as of late Um, so you know those are probably one and two uh, postseason starters who are we looking at for starters three and four in a playoff series
4: you know, I think that's a question the Astros are trying to answer. Um, you know, in, in May, it would have been a slam dunk, you know, that, that Lance McCullers would have been in the conversation for, for one or two. And then he, he was injured. And I think a lot of Astros fans kind of called shenanigans on the Astros saying, look, you know, it's, it's a guy that has an injury history. Uh, he, he's missed a, a decent portion of the season. Uh, it's not so fair to say that in 2015, he didn't get called up until June. Uh, but he he sort of got shut down there towards the last uh third of the season maybe maybe a little bit bigger of a chunk uh in 2016 with with some issue with some health issues and then you know the the more you know kind of starts that that McCullers didn't make you thought man is this is this dude really actually injury prone and is something actually really wrong with him because he's been a guy that you know, he's been mentioned that if he doesn't cut it as a starter, then he could be an elite back-end reliever, but he's really opposed to that. Um, and so, you know, I, it would have been McCullers, and, and he, he had a pretty decent start his last time out, but I think there's a, there's a lot of question marks around his health. So your default number three is, as crazy as it is to say it is it's the guy that, that started the season as the 25th man on the roster, and it's Brad Peacock, who's been an absolute revelation. Hmm. Um. You know, over the, over the course of the season coming out of the bullpen and into the rotation as those injuries matted up. So I, you know, it's, I think you can go three, you know, McHugh, Colin McHugh looks pretty good as of late. Uh, Charlie Morton is having a career year. And, and so I don't, I don't know that you can go, I don't know that you can go wrong um you know there there's not an a, there's not an indefensible decision you could make you know as far as who starts 3 and 4 because the, whoever doesn't start 3 and 4 is is certainly capable of throwing three or four innings should should one of the one or two of those starters not not have a good outing
0: hm for uh, for listeners that maybe aren't all that familiar with the uh the Astros is there kind of a, a Jose Ramirez under the radar type player or two that we should be aware of that you think has the potential to just kind of go off in October and, and be a, a headliner?
4: Oh, that's a really good question because I, I don't know. And I, I, again, I've, I've followed the Astros and, and, and then I'm, kind of everyone else I keep an eye on, but, but it's, it, you know, I, I think if you looked at Carlos Beltran and his 230 average and his 285 on base percentage, you'd think, all right, that dude, you know, he's like I said earlier, is kind of a glorified manager. Mm-hmm. But but I, I think every Astros fan remembers the 2004 postseason he had, where he basically turned into Barry Bonds. <laughs> um, you know that that I don't know how many people are actually looking at him to to do anything. Uh, but is certainly capable of, of maybe rising to the occasion. You know, I don't know. You know, Josh Reddick is good for he, he is a good average, uh, pretty good on base percentage, but, you know, he's not going to absolutely smoke the ball. Um, the Astros have a lot of just kind of high-contact guys. You know, y- Yulieski Gurriel, you know, the the guy, the, the 30-something-year-old rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's capable of going off on a tear. Like, they're from top to bottom you know their the lineup is actually pretty stacked so i don't know who i don't you know i don't know who's under the radar of the rest of baseball but anybody is capable of of just having a four for five night where they get three extra base hits
0: hm uh last uh last question here and I, it's kind of a big one but uh you know if the astros were were able to run the table and win the world series uh what do you think the narrative would be or i guess another way of asking it would be what has to happen for the the Astros to win the world series? What has to go, go right for them to be world series champs?
4: There's been, there, there, there are two, two answers for you, And I'll take, I'll take those answers in order. I think the narrative, if the Astros do win the world series and I'm going to have to take at least two or three days off of work, (laughs) uh, if that happens, because I will not be capable of, of being at work those, (laughs) those two or three days following. Um, I think the narrative is going to be how the team rallied, you know, they were, they were in a, and, and it's debatable and, and books are going to be written. And as someone who has always felt like I've got a book in me, um, you know, the, what, what happened surrounding the hurricane with mm-hmm. hurricane Harvey, you know, the, the, the city was, I mean, you know, I set up a Twitter list. I, I live about three hours outside of Houston, but I grew up there. Um, and and i set up a twitter list of just people that you know you need to follow and and to kind of stay up on top of of what's happening in the city and what's getting flooded and i mean everybody was affected by it i mean there's Mm -hmm. it's not you know i have family on you know family and hundreds of friends all over the place and everybody was talking like this is really this is the worst thing i've ever seen um you know whereas previous hurricanes or tropical storms you know it's it's different parts of town they get it and then you know how much of how much of what happened to Houston at the end of of August with the hurricane led to the uh, Luno and the Astros actually pulling the trigger on Justin Verlander just you know as as maybe uh all right let's let's do this you know it's kind of now or never uh I think that's gonna be how the team responded to the city you know basically being underwater uh at the august thirty first deadline I think that's gonna be that's gonna be the overarching narrative. what has to happen? in order for that to happen is is the the Indians have been absolutely ridiculous uh, and I hate them, but, but I can't deny that, that what they've done is, is nothing short of amazing. Hmm. So they're going to, they're going to have to catch the breaks. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the Astros got off to a fairly historically good start and then the Dodgers took over as, you know, in the conversation of like maybe best team ever. Uh, And then the Indians went absolutely insane there for about six weeks. So there's gonna, I mean, a lot has to break right in order for the Astros to to actually run the table. But but it's got to be the bullpen. Um, you know that that if if a starter gets in trouble, the the bullpen's been a little bit shaky. You know, Giles Ken Giles has been has has been dominant pretty much for the for the entire year. But there are a lot of question marks between whenever the starter gets pulled and and getting to Ken Giles. So I think I think the bullpen is going to be key because if a starter gets in trouble you're going to need to rely on them for four you know 3 4 maybe 5 innings to get to where you can get to your non-question mark in Giles at the end and and he's a decent he's kind of a human question mark as it is because of he's just we, he's sort of the Mitch Williams kind of wheels <laughs> off uh you don't know you know, he might load the bases and then strike out the side on the next nine pitches. Like, you just don't know what you're going to get. But mm-hmm. he's been really good all year long. So, I think the bullpen is going to be the biggest key. Um, You know, there there was a – and if I can take up a little bit more of your time. Yeah. Uh, in 98, you know, the Astros traded for Randy Johnson. Uh, that might have – you know, that's the team that the Astros are sort of chasing, that if they win all four games against the Red Sox, you know, remaining in the regular season, that's the team that they will tie for for all-time franchise wins of the 102. Um, but and I was at I was at the the one of those playoff games that that the, the Astros just ran into the Padres when the Padres got hot and went to the World Series against the Yankees. And I mean, there was just there was just you they hit Kevin Brown at the wrong time and Jim mm-hmm. Larett, you know, God rest his soul. But I hope you Take know, Caminita, yeah. I, I kind of hope that. It, I hope, I hope that an angel, you know, kind of pokes him in the ribs every now and then. <laughs> um, you know, the it, it's just a crapshoot and, you know, a lot has to break right for any team to win the World Series, but but um, you know, I I think that's what the Astros are shooting for is just that everything lines up and I don't think Astros fans would be disappointed if they didn't win the World Series, but you know, get swept in the first round, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a long offseason of like good grief. What if?
0: Yeah. Yeah, do you uh, I guess all that being said, you know, playoffs are a crapshoot. Do you uh do you have a prediction that you want to put on the line?
4: Man, no, cuz I'm terrible <laughs> at predictions.
0: Uh I'm a history teacher,
4: so I'm I'm actually like unlike Mark McGuire, I'm actually here to talk about the past. Um I you know, I, I'd like to see the Astros if they win the pennant, you know, that'll that'll be great. Um they didn't have a good couple series against the Indians. I, I sort of expect them to make it out of the first round, just because of the combination of, of Verlander uh, and and Keichel rounding into form at the end of the season. I that, I think that's sort of a given. And then whatever happens in the ALCS, you know, who knows with the Indians what they're going to do. So I think win win in the first round and and just hope for the best from that point forward.
0: Yeah, you guys deserve some some good karma after. Is that 2015 against the Royals? Or is that 14?
4: No, I still have PTSD from that Royal series. <laughs> that, was,
0: that was 15, right? That
4: was 15, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, was it the the mayor of Houston that had that infamous tweet? Am I remembering? It
4: was the governor of Texas. Oh, governor that managed of Texas. To, he, he, and he, he managed to jinx, jinx both the, the Rangers and the Astros <laughs> by like congratulating them both prematurely on their series on their series wins. So, uh, you know, politics aside, screw that guy yeah, um, yeah. for for doing that. You can't you can't jump the gun on a
0: tweet. Certainly. Well, James, appreciate your time. Uh, folks uh, can read your tweets at Astros County, like I said, and follow along at the website astroscounty.com. But appreciate your time, and we'll be reading throughout October.
4: Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
5: There's only one...
0: Our next team to preview is the Cleveland Indians and to talk about the Indians, we've got Mike Hattery on the line. You can follow him on Twitter at Snarky Hatman. It's a great uh <laughs> Twitter name and you can uh, you can read his work. He's been a resident uh resident at FanGraphs for the last month. He also writes at Waiting for Next Year. Welcome, Mike.
6: Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Mike, it's been uh, a very good year for the Indians. Um, you know, especially the second half of the season as someone who follows the team and has written a a lot about the team this year, uh, what's it been like to, to cover the team and especially what was it like to cover the, the 22 game winning streak?
6: Been sort of surreal. I think, um, one of the complexities of this team is just how loaded it is, uh, which is a strange thing to say, but I I think the last month or so, once the 22 game winning streak ended for this team has been kind of boring
0: Hmm. in the
6: sense that they're so dominant. Um, and, you know, I think everyone's just sort of chomping at the bit for the playoffs because, you know, rotation, bullpen, lineup, uh, this team has it all. Uh, so I think it's been a blast, but coming off, you know, last season and, and the World Series, I think everyone uh, is, is troubled but to think about October.
0: Um, you know, every team, especially the teams that make the playoffs, you know, they aspire to win the World Series, but I feel like the Indians more so than other teams sort of have an expectation of at least making it this year and of winning it, do you think uh, this season is a disappointment in Indians fans' eyes if uh, if they don't win at all?
6: I definitely think it is for a lot of Indians fans, um, which I think I think is really tough. You know, the playoffs are so random, and I think everybody has this expectation since they were such a dominant regular season team that you know this is the year it's going to happen and there's sort of this expectation that if it doesn't happen then it's ultimately a failure so i think i think that's definitely the case um which i think is too bad and i think me as well you know i, I think there is a feeling where you kind of get you know when i talked about how boring the last month was in some ways even with the run um you kind of get spoiled i mean this is just a dominant team who over 162 games was the best or the second best to the dodgers in baseball and there's something really tough about the fact that you know all you can think about is you know how we're going to feel about the season is going to be what's going to happen for the
3: next three weeks.
0: Thinking about the the rotation specifically in the in the postseason, obviously Kluber, uh, probably the AL Cy Young, one of the best pitchers in baseball, he'll be uh, your number one starter. But um, how's uh, two, three, and four looking after that?
6: You know, I think you know Carrasco and Bauer are going to be the two and three in some sense in the playoffs. The fourth spot is where it's going to get sort of strange, I think. Um, Francona sort of noodled with the idea of going with Josh Tomlin instead of Clevenger or Salazar, which I think is, is definitely a bold play. I guess it would only happen if the Indians were up two on the ALDS. Hmm. I think what's more likely when we saw how progressive, you know, Francona was once he gets into the postseason is I think. Clevenger and Salazar are going to be used as almost piggyback starters if they start Tomlin. Hmm. Uh, so Tomlin will get three innings, and then you might give three to Salazar, three to Clevenger, um, just so they only go one cycle or one and a half cycles through the order.
0: For uh, for most baseball fans, kind of national baseball fans, we're obviously familiar, familiar with how Francona used um, Andrew Miller last year and, and Cody Allen. Can we expect similar things? You know, I know uh, there's been injuries, but you know, what's what's sort of your expectation for how Francona will use his bullpen in the postseason?
6: That's a great question. I think I really think that the the really sort of early move of Clevenger to the bullpen is reflective of the idea that I think Francona isn't that comfortable really trying to you know push Miller out to two or you know two two and two thirds innings sorts of outings again so I think you know definitely we'll see him go more than an inning quite a few times uh, but I don't know if it's going to be quite the same because I think they have more weapons where they don't have to do that as much Um, and obviously you know like you noted you know Miller's had issues with his knee for the past month and a half he finally licked himself about you know two performances ago and today so I think they'll be a little less aggressive uh, definitely with Miller in the postseason
0: hmm final question here uh you know if the the Indians were to win uh the World Series, what are the things that have to go right for them?
6: That's a great question um hmm. Man. <laughs> jeez um, I think the biggest thing that has to go right is they have to have they have to have center field go right um you know, be it Jason Kipnis playing out there, uh, which seems very daunting, a rookie and Greg Allen, or sort of a slow poke at this point in Austin Jackson. Uh, I think they need to have um, some things go right for them defensively in center field, uh, or have their pitching be good enough to cover up that issue. Um, and then I think the other thing that has to go right is, um, even if it's in a you know smaller amount of innings, Cody Allen and Andrew Miller have to do what they did last year. So, uh, you know, I think I think that's a pretty heavy burden on them, and uh, I think those are the two things that have to happen.
0: Yeah, as a uh, a White Sox fan, we had Austin Jackson last year, and I was shocked. As I was just, you know, you know, preparing for the interview, looking at some of the the WAR totals, I was su- surprised at how many at bats uh, Austin Jackson has gotten on a a contender, let alone the best team in the American League. So.
6: Yeah, it is. It is. I cannot believe it. And he's going to go get a nice little five million, maybe ten million, seven million dollar deal this year. So it's, uh, it's yeah, great if you're Austin Jackson, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Well, appreciate you jumping on. Uh, before I let you go, is there? I know you for, for the last month. I've been writing for Fangraphs. Is there a, a particular piece that you are most proud of, or want to plug here before you go?
6: Um, I wrote. Uh, a piece about sort of developing uh, player development and launch angle and saber metrics, And I think um, it's definitely a piece that I was really proud of and uh, would love for people to uh, just read over and consider and, you know, interact with me, tell me where I'm wrong as always. I awesome. Welcome that.
0: Well, we'll include a link to that in our uh, podcast episode page. I uh, appreciate having you on. We'll be uh, following your work uh, this October. Thanks, Mike.
6: Thank you so much. There's only one
5: October.
0: Well, the first of our National League wildcard guests is Jim McLennan. He covers the Diamondbacks, avid Diamondbacks fan, and he, uh, he covers them for SB Nations Diamondbacks website, Arizona Snake Pit. You can follow them on Twitter at azsnakepit uh, or go to the website azsnakepit.com. Jim, welcome to our playoff preview.
7: I'm glad to be here. Certainly, delighted to have the Diamondbacks back in the playoffs. It's uh, been a while.
0: Now, I have to ask before we start: uh, your accent—it's—it's—is it Scottish? And and how did you become yeah. a Diamond, Diamondbacks fan?
7: It is indeed. Uh, it is indeed Scottish. I was uh, you know, born and brought up there. Moved out to uh, Arizona in uh, 2000, and uh, the following year, of course, was uh, it was 2001, and that was the year the the Diamondbacks won the World Series, and that pretty much made uh, a fan of me for life. I've been, uh, been waiting for anything uh, anything quite like that ever since. Uh, still not uh, used to the Arizona summers, shall we say? a bit uh, different from Scotland, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that that really made a Diamondbacks like, fun to me that uh, that first season. So hopefully, uh, we'll uh, we'll get back to the World Series one
0: of these years. Yeah. So I was looking at their uh, just season by season um, track record. They've now existed for 20 years, which kind of seems crazy because they I still think of them as a newer uh, franchise. This will be the sixth time they make the playoffs, but the first time since 2011. So what's kind of the the state of the fan base as we head into uh, uh, the playoffs?
7: Yeah, I mean, it's... Given the, the expectations coming into this year, I mean nobody nobody really expected anything much. I mean we had a, you know a very poor year last year, you know over well over 90 and uh, 90 losses, and there was some wholesale changes. We got a new manager, a new general manager. There hadn't really been that much change in the uh, in the, the the player player uh, player roster really for this year. So I think coming into this season, most most people would have been happy, you know, if we got back to 500. Uh, that would have been that would have been great by uh, by most standards. So I think uh, a lot of the fan base is still. Still you know, a little bit, a little bit, um, you know, almost skeptical to, to some extent of, mm-hmm. of, of the team, and uh, but they're obviously delighted to uh, to be back in the, in the postseason. Uh, we're just hoping that it lasts a little bit longer than uh, than one game. That's the the thing about this. <laughs> you know, the first time that Ironbacks have been in the, uh, the wild card slot, and so we're uh, we're uh, kind of dreading the thought of it being uh, being nine innings and, and done against uh, the Rockies.
0: Yeah, as a Cubs fan, a couple of years ago, uh, the Cubs Pirates wild card game, it makes for a very intense evening of watching baseball just because every every pitch uh every inning um could be a you know significant one uh in knocking your team out of the playoffs but they they have uh their ace granky's lined up to start he and i looked he's about uh, 35 40 percent of their payroll so you know to have the the one guy um like that to start in the wild card game is kind of the, the recipe for winning it i think so that has to give you some confidence right
7: yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's working out fairly well. I mean, the Diamondbacks uh, have a very deep rotation. I mean, behind uh, behind Granke, they've got you know Robbie Ray, obviously. Zach Godley's also been a, a revelation this year. Uh, Patrick Corbin and uh, Taiwan Walker are, are also been being, being surprisingly uh, surprisingly good this season. Uh, I think the way it's, it's worked out, uh, uh, Granke starting uh, at home at Chase Field, where he's been particularly good. Uh, against the Rockies is, 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 is probably the way we would have wanted to arrange it anyway. And, and then have Robbie Ray, uh, ready to start game one in Los Angeles where, where he has been very good and he has, you know, been very good against the Dodgers as well. So, uh, um, certainly gives us uh, gives us some some hope. I think he's uh, rebounded to form. He had a very disappointing 2016, but he's been a lot better, as I say, particularly at Chase Field this year. So uh, uh, hopefully he'll uh, he'll be able to deliver us the kind of stuff. But as, as you say, it's it's one of those wild card games where you know a single play, a single uh, single error can, can easily be the turning point. So we're uh, just keeping our fingers crossed and uh, looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest surprise uh, is just the Diamondbacks pitching. They have the third best ERA in baseball. They had five starters make uh, twenty five starts or more, um, so that I think yeah, that's that's a, a key to their success. I think going into uh, the postseason. I, one question I do have though: so is Fernando Rodney's the Diamondbacks' closer? Uh, just based on watching him in past years, do, is there high confidence that he can lock things down at the end of games in the playoffs?
7: Oh, that's been, uh, yeah, the, the Fernando Rodney experience, as, as we call it here, has, has certainly <laughs> been, uh, been an interesting one. Um, I mean, it, the way it seems to work with him is he, he's either completely dominant or he's utter utterly meltdown. There doesn't really seem to be an enormous amount of... Uh, <laughs> of uh, of uh, of middle ground. There, I think he's made about sixty appearances for us this year, and I want to say like uh, fifty of them, he's he's allowed like no earned runs, and and about uh, and in the other ten, he's allowed like like twenty five earned runs or something along those run, uh, <laughs> lines. It's uh, you know, it's it's, it's really a case of uh, uh, the, the good or the bad. I mean, when you come in, you just never quite know exactly what you're going to get. Whether you're going to get uh, you know one, two, three inning, or he's going to end up walking two people and, and allowing hits and. I'm putting runners on base. I think if it came down to a, a one a one run game in the in the ninth inning, you know, if Banky goes eight innings and we have a, just an hour narrowest of leads going into the ninth. I think most Diamondback fans would probably rather see Archie Bradley pitch the ninth inning. He's mm. been been really really good out of the bullpen this year. Uh, he's also been kind of the emotional leader of the team. So I think most Diamondback fans would probably rather turn to uh, to Archie Bradley in the. Uh, and if it was a, a, a one inning that we that the bullpen needed to get, but we'll we'll see what happens. You know, they Rodney. The, Given you know, given the cost, given what uh, you know, the Dynamax have had to pay him, he's been you know pretty solid. I would say generally, he's converted uh, you know uh, uh, the majority of his saves, oh, right? very much so. But uh, there's always that sense of doubt as to whether he's going to have one of his uh, one of his bad outings, and uh, if he does, then uh, the sooner we get him out of the better.
0: <laughs> yeah, m- moving over to the offense briefly, you know, Goldschmidt obviously is the centerpiece to the diamondbacks i feel like he's still underrated somehow uh, five straight all-star games uh, you know the best i think first baseman in baseball currently uh he's the centerpiece but who are some other guys i know jd martinez has had a good kind of unique run just hitting a lot of home runs uh with the diamondbacks but there's other guys that provide a lot of depth so you know if someone hasn't been watching the diamondbacks who are a couple guys to key in on um, as key contributors in the playoffs
7: yeah, but I mean, obviously Martinez was an amazing uh, mid season pickup. He's hit you know, twenty nine home runs, he's batted over uh, you know over three hundred since coming to us as being really one of the the best uh, trade deadline pickups uh yeah, you know, in recent uh, baseball history. I would mm-hmm. say he's he's completely galvanized the offense, particularly we were struggling against uh uh against left handed pitching for a while, but he suddenly seems to have helped turn that around. But, uh, beyond him and Goldschmidt. Um, Chris Iannetta, um, our, our catcher, has been a surprisingly decent fit uh, uh, batting second in the order. So that's something that we might see uh, in the postseason, in the wild card game.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, A.J. Pollock, it's been good to have A.J. Pollock uh, come back. He missed most of last year, broke his elbow uh, literally in, uh, in virtually the last, uh, the last warm-up game and missed almost the entire season. So it's been good to have him coming back as well. And uh, also in the outfield, uh, David Peralta, who's uh, in a really good story. He was originally a, a pitcher. Uh, in the Cardinals organization, kind of washed out there, uh, reinvented himself as an outfielder, came back into Indie ball, which is where uh, the Diamondbacks picked him up. And he's, uh, he's made his way back. He's hitting, uh, hitting 291 with key home runs this year. So uh, hmm. there's definitely some threats at the, at the top of the Diamondbacks lineup. Uh,
0: final question for you and something we're going to ask each of our guests is, what's, what, what's kind of the narrative behind a Diamondbacks World Series run? You know, if the Diamondbacks make a run, which um, – there's a, a real shot at w- what's kind of the narrative behind a, a long playoff run for the Diamondbacks?
7: Well, I, I think it, it's going, we're really going to go as far as uh, that starting pitching takes us. I think the the narrative pretty much for uh my new manager, Tory Lavella this year has been, he wants his, his starters to, to give him 21 outs. And I think as long hmm. as uh, the Diamondback starters can do that, uh, then that kind of allows us to, to pitch Archie Bradley in the eighth and Fernando Rodney in the ninth, and, and that's going to be a good recipe for success. I think our, uh, the back of our bullpen, you know, um, behind uh, behind Rodney and, uh, and Bradley, is, is definitely a, a weak point. So we'd rather just avoid them entirely if possible. and <laughs> just go uh, from the starters to the uh, the, uh, the Bradley and Rodney, uh, um, you know, tandem at the uh, for the last couple of innings. So I, I think it really comes down to how far the the Diamondback starting pitcher can go. If they pitch as well as they have. During the regular season, then I think they can certainly stand up to anybody. As I say, uh, one, uh, one through four, which is really what they would be in the, the postseason. I think they can, uh, they can, they can match up with just about anybody in, in Idol League. So, uh, I think it's really going to come down to how far the, the, the starting pitch in, uh, is able to deliver know, good outings. And, and that's going to determine how far the Diamondbacks go into the postseason.
0: Well, great. Uh, Jim McLennan has been our Diamondbacks expert on uh, this playoff preview. Check him out at uh, azsnakepit.com and on Twitter at azsnakepitjim. Thank you for joining us, and best of luck to your Diamondbacks.
7: Thank you very much for having me. I always enjoy uh, chatting about the Diamondbacks, and hopefully it'll be a good postseason for everyone. There's only one
0: October. Our next guest on the podcast is Brian Kilpatrick. He covers the Rockies. For Purple Row, the Rockies' SB Nation website. Follow him on Twitter at Purple Row BP, and then uh, check his workout at Purple Row dot com. Uh, and I believe you you run the Twitter account for Purple Row. Is that right, Brian?
5: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Nice. Um, Guiltiest chose. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Rocktober is back. Uh, how, how's it feel? Uh, first time since two
5: thousand nine. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, I think a lot of people who around the team, um, follow the team closely, cover the team, whatever. You know, I don't think anybody's too surprised because you know the last couple of years you kind of see it coming, but at the same time it's just uh, surreal that it actually happened and it's actually here.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So I'm I'm curious about fan bases in general, but uh, especially attendance. And so I was looking at um, kind of final attendance numbers for this year. The Rockies are eighth, they finished in eighth, just shy of 3 million, and they were up 4,000 per game from last year. So would you say, uh, did the fans buy in as the season progressed? Or was it they just acknowledged in in the offseason, like, hey, this is a team that could contend this year?
5: Yeah, I think a lot of fans, to their credit, have um, have seen the, the positive strides the team has made. Um, you know, last year the Rockies only won seventy five games, but they were in it, and you know, well into August. So, you know, the the pieces were there. Um, I think people could tell. And, but yeah, like you said, the end result is um, that's actually the largest attendance the Rockies have had since two thousand one. So mm. it's been a really long time since they've had. Um that many fans come to the ballpark and oh yeah, they were getting great attendance numbers early in the season. They did pretty well down the stretch. So like I said, I think people just realized that, you know, this this was a good team in the making and so they bought in kinda of early.
0: Yeah, so officially I, I want them to, to be the Diamondbacks because uh I think uh course is a underrated ballpark and it's really cool when it's full and there's um kinda high leverage moments so uh I'm rooting for them, especially compared to, to uh, Chase Field. I'm not, not a big fan of that park. But um, moving on to the actual team, the offense was was probably better than the pitching staff, although both, you know, with the Rockies, both, both need to be there for them to, to make the playoffs with the ballpark they play in. But um, a lot of their young players are Anato Blackman, LeMahieu, Story. They're all homegrown, developed. I know LeMahieu got traded from the Cubs, but uh, he's a younger player that they've developed. Um, and they were fifth and OBP fifth in slugging in all of baseball this year. So stacked offense, um, I guess just going into the playoffs, or, you feel pretty confident that they're ready for the, the big stage? Um, or, or how do you feel about the young core going into the playoffs?
5: Well, I think uh, I actually, I worry a little bit more about the offense than I do the pitching staff. Hmm. Surprisingly, that kind of comes with the caveat of, you know, how pitching staffs are generally managed in the playoffs. you know, a lot of times, you'll only, especially in the National League, a lot of times you'll only have your starter go three or four innings and lose the game. You want to get a pinch hitter in there. That uh, um, if you've got one of those good multi-inning relievers, like how the Indians used Andrew Miller last year, then you're still in good shape. So, uh, you know, my question is is how some of those young offensive players will handle themselves in the postseason against really good pitching. Um, and obviously, that could only last one game if uh, if they can't beat Zach Greinke. The Rockies have hit him well in the past. Hmm. Um, you know, they, they've got a lot of guys who, who've had a lot of at bats against him and had a lot of success. So it's not like small sample size stuff either. So that's a plus for them. But uh, you know, but, but they've got they've got good enough pitching at the top of the rotation and uh, and a good enough and deep enough bullpen to make things work um, as far as that goes, you know, just because you know, baseball is always low scoring in the postseason anyway, but I just, I, I do worry a little bit about how, you know, guys like LeMay, Hugh, Arnauto, um Story, those younger guys handle themselves in the spotlight in the postseason because a lot of those, not necessarily Blackman and Arnauto, but everyone else in that lineup struggled um, for large stretches of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the overall numbers as you as you read them, they look good, but uh, if you kind of do some park adjustments and things like that, like you know, the Rockies offense had some holes mm-hmm. that kind of matched up at the eye test. If you watch the team all year long,
0: yeah, and I remember Arenado. Even uh he really struggled in the World Baseball Classic. You know, obviously small sample size, but um you wonder if he maybe has a bad game or two. If that kind of if he if he's reminded of of maybe that um, that stretch and kind of gets in his head a little bit. Um, but moving over to the, the pitching staff, uh, they've got the second youngest staff in baseball. Uh, according to, to baseball reference, uh, innings log this year, second youngest uh, staff in baseball. Uh, I assume John Gray will start uh, the wildcard game. I'm not sure if that's been announced yet, but I was reading on Purple Row uh, that he's kind of the favorite to, to start the, the wild card game against Granke, uh, if they do win that game, what does the staff look like against the Dodgers?
5: Yeah, Gray is going to start that wild-card game, okay. so, so you're correct there. I mean, he's the Rockies' ace, he's, he's the guy you want to go, and he's pitched really well against the Diamondbacks this year at Chase Field. I think he's got a couple of 10 strikeout games there this year. And, you know, The Rockies don't strike out a lot of people as a staff, so, but he's that one guy who you can count on to go in there you know, regardless of who he's pitching against, and this bat. So that's uh, they're they're going to need it um, against the good bats offense and, and with Granky on the mound. But uh, beyond that, um, they've got Tyler Anderson, who was really, I mean, he was super underrated last year as a rookie. He was uh, one of the best pitchers in baseball at managing contact. You know, there's a lot of soft contact against him. Um, didn't give up a lot of barrel balls. He's he's just got he's got a really deceptive delivery and and stuff that's probably a little bit better than he gets credit for and he, he had a rough go of it for most of this season but he was injured uh, he was dealing with a knee injury for a while um since he's been back though from the disabled list he, he's got an yeah. ERA in the ones I think in in 20 uh, in something innings since he's been back from the DL across like three or four starts so he's He's looking like uh, he was looking last year, which will really help the Rockies because beyond those two, um, you have Herman Marks has, has been up and down um, to overall had a really good rookie season. And then uh, Chad Battis and Tyler Chatwood, you don't really know what you're going to get out of those two hmm. on any given night.
0: Well, great. Uh, it's been a, kind of an up and down season for the Rockies, Lo- lots of cool moments. Uh, 52 and 39 in the first half they were a big surprise and then uh they I'm not sure exactly what they did on Sunday but they were 35 and 35 in the second half going in to, to today um so uh I feel like they kind of studied themselves in the second half probably proved a lot of people wrong that thought they were you know when they started to struggle thought that they were the out of the playoff race so uh I guess as a Rockies fan you have you have like a favorite moment or two from the season that that you'll remember regardless of how the wild card game goes
5: I think the the top moment to date is when
0: uh Arenado hit a walk off Homer to complete the cycle. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. In June
5: and June, and that put the Rockies twenty games over five hundred. I think they won the next night, um on a clutch hit from Arenado too. Hmm. So uh they popped out at twenty one games over five hundred in June and uh you know, kinda of coasted from there. They didn't play well for large stretches of the second half, but you know, it's kind of one of those things where they probably weren't as good as the record showed through June twenty second or whatever it was, but they also weren't as bad as they played in some portions of of the second half either. So it's you know, one of those things are you meet in the middle, and it's an eighty seven and seventy five team, and that looks about right. I and mean, you know, they're, they're good enough to get to the postseason, and uh, they just have to to they, they have to have that formula of you know, get five or six good innings from the starting pitcher, and then lean on a bullpen that has been pretty good, but has also been pretty overworked at times this season because
8: you know they they
5: had a rotation full of rookies for a good portion of the season. So, but you know, if if, if they get if they just get good enough starting pitching, they can hang in there. Um, but but yeah, the top overall moment definitely on all all those walk off cycle. It's uh, it would be really hard to beat that.
0: Yeah, that was that was an amazing. Uh... Amazing uh, moment uh, for all of baseball. Uh, last question: We're going to uh, ask each uh, of our guests this question. Uh, what's the narrative behind a, a Rockies World Series run? What's what are kind of the reasons why um, the big reasons why uh, the Rockies would win the World Series? What has to go right for that to happen?
5: They just got to hit. They got to hit with runners in scoring position. So that's a
0: big thing for them.
5: Um, that they did really well in the first half of the season and didn't do so well down the stretch. Um, you know, that can be ups and downs. Hitting a few in scoring position can be cyclical, and, and uh, you know, sometimes it's just noise. But at the same time, you know, it feels like the Rockies are due to start doing that again because they struggled with it for for a month or two now after being so good at it to start the season. So if they can regain their form, um, keep getting runners on base and just uh, having getting enough at bats to to get the guys in, and that that's going to be how they do it. You know, I think they, uh, so. Doing that just just timely, please sounds just timely hitting, and then uh, they've got a lot better of a bullpen than people think, and I think they can lead on those guys and uh, get some good performances out of the bullpen as long as they can hang in games early. Uh, mm-hmm. They should be in position to win them late.
0: Well, great. Uh, Brian Kilpatrick has been our Rockies expert. Uh, check uh, his work out at uh, Purple Row on Twitter and then PurpleRow.com. Um, lots of good stuff there. Brian, thanks so much for your expertise.
5: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. There's only one October.
0: Next up on our list of playoff teams is the Boston Red Sox. And to talk about the Sox, we've got our podcast friend Jake Devro on the line. You can follow Jake on Twitter at DevJake, That's D E V J A K E. And you can take in his wonderful work at BP Boston. Jake, welcome back. Thanks
8: for having me, Paul. I really
0: appreciate it. Well, another year and another playoff appearance for the Sox. And, uh, you know, although they're a, a playoff team and they're going to end up with 93, 94 wins, it's been a tumultuous year. You know, I'm not a, a Sox expert by any means, but. I thought of you know injuries to key players, uh, weird sort of infighting with announcers and players, brawls, even Apple watches. It's just been a kind of kind of a nutty year. So I guess given all of that, uh, what's what's the pulse of the team heading into the playoffs, and kind of where's your personal level of confidence um, in their ability to go on a run in October?
8: Well, first I, I think I. I totally agree with you in terms of uh, how crazy a year it's been. Um, and, and the pulse of the team has been very much uh, up and down. And it's strange to look up the standings right now and see 91 wins and, um, you know, a three game division lead on the Yankees and still feel like things haven't gone quite as planned in terms of the biggest question mark on the Red Sox. I, I think it's been the offense all year and Pedroia, uh, made it back to the lineup today, but he's been dealing with some knee soreness. Uh, Mookie Betts was out of the lineup today with left wrist soreness, which apparently isn't going to be serious. Uh, and then Eduardo Nunez, who was a tremendous pickup at the trade deadline, um, is out with a right PCL injury in his knee. So uh, we're not really sure when he's going to come back. And then when you flip the script and look at the uh, the pitching side of things, um, That's been equally worrying, worrisome lately, uh, and and guys that you're not typically uh, accustomed to worrying about throughout the course of the year, like uh, Chris Sale and Drew Pomerantz, have been showing some signs of fatigue. So um, it's been interesting. I think that at this point, though, Red Sox fans are sort of just throwing their hands up in the air and going like, whatever, like whatever <laughs> happens, happens. Um, You know, it it certainly doesn't feel like a team of destiny. I think I'd I'd put it that way.
0: Yeah, you you can kind of check me on this. But to me, it feels like the the Indians are the favorites just based on the last couple months. And then I probably put the Astros up above the Red Sox just in terms of how they're playing now. Is that kind of where you you are, too?
8: Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think, um, you know, you could even make an argument for the Yankees uh, with a better run differential Uh, being just as dangerous if not more dangerous than the Red Sox in the playoffs so um, yeah I I, I think there's a few troublesome things Um, the Red Sox obviously have lived and died this year by the success of their pitching Uh, both the starting pitching and the bullpen have performed incredibly well throughout the year but uh, Chris Sale has a 438 ERA in August and a 372 ERA in September and uh, is is a clear number two in the Cy Young race right now, and um, Pomeranz has been throwing uh, reduced velocity, and he's at a career uh, innings limit uh, for him. He hasn't pitched this many innings ever as a starter, so I guess uh, the key guys that they've been uh, banking on all year are are starting to show some some signs of maybe not not being fully there, but I guess. It, what all Sox fans should be hoping for is that we draw the Astros because the Astros represent a team that the Red Sox don't see all that often um, and Alex Speer, who was a guest on our podcast the red seat uh, he's a great Red Sox writer he actually did an article about um, sale and his problem with familiarity uh, with other teams so um, against the Indians who have seen him quite a bit throughout his career with the White Sox mm-hmm. Um, he has an ERA in the mid fours and against the Astros. He's got a ERA uh, Under two, hmm. so that's a team that just doesn't see him very much And he actually did a really interesting thing where he looked at players that have had between You know one and nine ten to nineteen and he went all the way up to 50 plus plate appearances um, And when you get to that 50 plus plate appearances uh, threshold uh, players typically have a lot of success nineteen, three 319 369 490 slash line Uh, once you get to that limit so it seems like with Chris Sale um when you get familiar with him some of that deception is gone and um and he becomes more hittable so uh bottom line is that the Red Sox are going to kind of live and die by what Chris Sale uh and Mookie Betts do in the playoffs because those are the clear uh best guys on the team so um Hmm. I guess I, I, I'm hoping for I'm hoping for the Astros and and I'd feel pretty good about that. But I wouldn't feel like the Red Sox were a favorite in that series. And I'd certainly feel like they were a huge dog against Cleveland. Hmm.
0: With uh, with the uh, playoff starting rotation, obviously Sales um, probably gonna get the ball in game number one. After that, when you talk about like starters two, three, four, uh, what are we looking at?
8: Well. It's definitely going to be Sale, Pomerantz. Uh, I think that at this point, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez has pitched the best out of the uh, remaining two uh, guys that could be there, him and Porcello. I think at this point, Doug Fister's probably pitched himself out of that playoff rotation. Uh, they may go Rick Porcello just to break up the uh, lefty contingency there because Sale, Pomerantz, and Eduardo are all lefties. Um, So I could see them certainly doing that. But I think if you're looking at who deserves to be the three-starter, it's certainly Eduardo Rodriguez right now. Um, Other key battles uh, on that position player uh, 25-man roster, I think you're looking at fourth outfielder. It's going to come down to Rajai Davis versus Chris Young. Uh, I personally think they'll go with Rajai Davis just for the speed element. Mm -hmm. Um, And then – They'll probably carry seven relievers. Uh, The guy who I'd like to see left off is Matt Barnes, who's probably not going to be left off uh, of the bullpen. And I I think they should carry Sam Travis as an additional hitter uh, on the bench, along with Nunez and Brock Holt. So um, that's the way I'd like to see it break down. Matt Barnes has just been terrible in high leverage situations this year. Um, And I know that he's pitched in quite a few of them. and, And John Farrell seems to have confidence in him, but... Uh, he hasn't been performing quite as well lately as, I think, uh, some of the other guys. But overall, you really can't complain about the bullpen. It's They're going to live and die by how the stud starting pitchers do and how the offense performs. And um, Betting on the Red Sox offense this year, it just doesn't feel like a good bet right now.
0: For, uh, for baseball fans or, or listeners to the podcast now that maybe aren't all that familiar with uh, the Red Sox, is there kind of a under the radar type player that you think could just kind of explode and have an awesome October?
8: Well, um, Mookie's getting hot at the right time. Certainly not an under the radar guy. Um, Benintendi has been incredible over the last month or so. Um, he's a rookie. So if you're not super familiar with him, he's a guy to watch. Um, But I think the guy who is under the radar that you can watch out for would be uh, Rafael Devers, who sort of burst onto the scene um, and and was incredible for a three-week stretch. Then pitchers adjusted to him, uh, and he has recently adjusted back. uh, And he's broken out of a a slump, and he seems to be hitting really well. And um, Devers has game-changing pop. He also has incredible bat speed and the ability to put – the barrel on pretty much anything i don't know if you remember but uh he's the one who teed up that um chapman 102.7 mile an hour hmm. uh, pitch one of only two lefties ever to hit a home run uh off of Araldis chapman wow. so uh the capability that he has at 20 years old is is startling and he could certainly carry the team for a series hmm.
0: last question here um you know if the the socks were to win the World Series or at least make it to the World Series what are the things that would have to go right for them
8: uh they'd have to get a lot of their offensive pieces uh clicking uh the guys that I look at specifically Hanley Hanley Ramirez has had a a rough season Uh, Bogarts has dealt with injuries a, a lot of the years so I think those main cogs in the lineup need to get hot and I think that Sale and Pomerantz, um in those studs need to perform as they have been performing for most of the season. If they don't have those guys, uh, they're they're not going to make it. If Chris Sale's struggles continue, um, you know it's going to be one and done for the Red Sox.
0: Awesome. Well, I give the opportunity to all of our guests to to make a prediction. I don't know if you're a prediction type guy, but um, any any thoughts on a World Series matchup?
8: Uh, I, I've i been going with the Indians all year so I think that I'm going to stick with uh, Indians and I think it's going to be Indians over the Nationals <laughs> um, I, I, I just have a feeling that the Dodgers uh, sort of went on their run a little early and uh, the Dodgers just don't have it in the postseason and I look at that Nationals roster and man it's good and they're getting Bryce Harper back and Anthony Rendon's had quite a season so I think that that's what it's ultimately going to be. and uh, I think that'd be a fantastic World Series. And if you're asking me to predict the winner of that, uh, I think it's the Indians. I think they get off the schneid after, what, 68 years or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So they, they got pretty close last year. So I'd, I'd like to see them do it this year if the Red Sox can't hang in.
0: Yep, they certainly uh, deserve one. Um, fun stuff. Uh, Jake, thanks for joining us. Uh, listeners, you can go check out his stuff, like I said, at BP Boston. Great podcast, great writing. Appreciate having you on, Jake.
8: All right. Thanks a lot, Paul. I really appreciate it. There's only one October.
0: To preview the NL West division champs, the LA Dodgers, is uh, Dustin Nosler. He's a writer and editor at Dodgers Digest. He was our Dodgers expert uh, last year as well. So repeat guest, Uh, Dustin, thanks so much for joining us.
9: Thanks, Peter, for having me.
0: No problem. Our pleasure. Uh, so the Dodgers uh, have had a historic season. Obviously, it was it was on pace to be even more historic, but they're still, uh, you know, they won over a hundred games, dominant pitching staff. Uh, just walk me through kind of how you're feeling or how the fan base is feeling heading in heading into October.
9: Well, I think folks are feeling a lot better now than they were a couple of weeks ago when they were, oh, they were just finishing up a one in sixteen stretch, which is almost unheard of and mm-hmm. almost as unheard of as them playing almost 800 baseball for four months. So, um, it was a, it was a really massive and a, a crazy overcorrection by the baseball gods. But, <laughs> it, you know, you know, I think everybody's feeling as good as they can. Um, the, I would say the biggest concern is Corey Seager's elbow and how that's going to hold up, um, more at the plate than defensively. Um, he, he His arm is a strength there at shortstop defensively because he doesn't have the best range, but I'm not worried about it that in that regard I'm worried about his power
8: mm-hmm. not
9: being where it needs to be or where it has been for most of the season So outside of that, that's probably the biggest concern um, But otherwise I think folks should be feeling pretty good about a team that's got 102 wins uh, At the time we're recording this
0: Yeah, so uh... You mentioned uh, Seager, but I want to talk briefly about the the starting pitching. Heading into the playoffs, relatively healthy, it seems like, so all their guys are uh, ready to be used. I know I saw this morning that uh, Kershaw is supposed to start games one and game five, so that means they're going to use four starting pitchers uh, in the playoffs, or that's the plan. Uh, which four uh, will they use, or has it been decided yet?
9: Well, the first three are... are... Lock and Stone, maybe not in this exact order, but it's going to be, like you said, Kershaw, um, Yu Darvish, and Rich Hill Hmm. in some order. Um, Probably that order, at least that's how I would do it. There's some debate whether Alex Wood should get that fourth start or have that fourth starter spot or a guy like Hunjin Ryu. Um, If Alex Wood were pitching closer to what he had been earlier in the season um, in terms of velocity and swing and miss rate and ground ball rate, he might challenge for the number two spot, but since he's his velocity diminished, his effectiveness has he's been he's been okay. He hasn't been the same guy he was in the first half. He might be a better option out of a bullpen as a hmm. um, relief ace, fireman type, whatever yeah moniker you want to give it. Um, leaving Hunjin Ryu to start in game uh, start in game four as long as they're not down two to the ones I do think they use Kershaw on short rest if they're down. I, I I don't like the idea of that, um, but I just don't see Kershaw not getting the ball that day.
0: Yeah, speaking of the bullpen, I feel like Kenley Jansen is is uh, probably the Dodgers' biggest weapon, maybe outside of Kershaw. Uh, he has had a dominant season, uh, .75 WHIP in 64 appearances. In those 64 appearances, though, I was just I did the math. Uh, Twelve times out of those 64, he went longer than one inning. But just uh, of those 12 times, he only went more than four outs twice. So uh, he's only thrown 30 pitches twice this year. Uh, last year, of course, in Game 5 of the NLDS, he he went over 50, uh, which is kind of an unprecedented thing in recent times. Yeah. But uh, any idea how Roberts is going to use him in this year's playoffs? Will he, will he go to him early and often?
9: So part of me wants to say yeah, part of me wants to say no. I don't think you'll see him forever. 50 pitch outing again, or even I mean 30s even pushing it, but I could see him coming in in the seventh or eighth inning if the situation dictates. Say they're facing they've got Goldschmidt, Martinez, and Jake Lamb coming up um, in a tight spot. Maybe they're down one, they're tied, they're they're up by one or two. Um, I feel a lot more comfortable using him in a situation like that and worrying about the ninth inning if it gets to the ninth inning. With a lead uh, at the time, because while Brandon Morrow has been really good this season, I, I, and I'm confident in him. I just think if you're going to be a progressive manager, and uh, in, in especially with a progressive front office, that you're going to do things a little differently in the playoffs, a little quote unquote untraditional, but mm-hmm. makes sense, makes the most sense baseball wise. So, um, I definitely expect to see him in the eighth innings uh, of of many games. I don't expect very
0: many three out outings for him Hmm. yeah well that should uh, that should be good if he's pitching a lot late in games Uh, assuming the Diamondbacks win the wildcard game which seems likely but of course it's just a one game thing so anything can happen but uh, just for hypothetical sake uh, say the Diamondbacks win I know the Dodgers have used a lot of different platoons and a lot of different moving pieces in their in their lineups so give me the game one lineup versus Robbie Ray, assuming that he gets the ball for the Diamondbacks?
9: Yeah, it'll probably be him because he's getting the ball in the wild card game, which makes sense. I mean, Robbie Ray has had fantastic success against the Dodgers this season. Um, But you're looking at Taylor in center field, Seager at short, Turner at third, Bellinger at first. This is where he gets a little up in the air. You could throw a guy like Forsyth uh, at second base. Hmm. He's struggled, but he's been really good against lefties. Uh, Barnes at catcher, Enrique Hernandez in there at left because he hits lefties really well. And Yasiel Puig in right, despite his strong season, he's just been really, he's been almost unplayable against lefties. He's been Andre Ethier level with bad against left-handed pitching. Hmm.
0: So uh, for like a Granky start, uh, would would guys like Granderson and like Utley play a second in yeah, right field? Yeah, i
9: throw, I throw uh, uh, Granderson in at left. Um, down in the lineup, I wouldn't have him too high in the lineup, maybe fifth or sixth. Um, and Utley, I mean, it depends. Logan Forsyth seems to be coming around a little bit, and he's a premium defender at second base uh, compared to Chase Utley, who's still pretty solid, but he's got no arm. Um, mm. But I, I could see – I I, will, I do see Utley drawing some starts at second base against right-handed pitching, but I don't know if he draws all the starts at second base against right-handed pitching.
0: Yeah, this is this is the the time to shine for Bellinger. I feel like, uh, you know, set the the record for most home runs in a, a debut season. Has just been a stud uh, throughout this season. Uh, any reason to doubt that he'd be ready to go for the kind of the prime time um, playoffs?
9: I don't think so. He does well um, in pressure situations and late in games. Um, there was a time when half of his home runs had come in the seventh inning or later, hmm. which is incredible because you. are Talking, you know, three three innings, maybe one one or two uh, plate appearances. Yep. So, um And he, he seems to relish the limelight, and I, I don't think there's going to be any issue in that regard. And and the fact that he's he's really an athletic specimen plays in his favor because some guys might end up wearing down toward the end of the season, especially a debut season like this. But he, he's he's such a premium athlete that I'm not worried about him breaking down in, uh, physically in that
0: regard. In 2017, Dodgers were first in attendance. Drew over 46,000. Uh, you know, healthy, thriving fan base. Uh, will they get angry with Dave Roberts if uh, things don't turn out well in this year's playoffs?
9: <laughs> Absolutely, um, <laughs> without a doubt. Every every fan base gets mad at uh, its manager, <laughs> no matter what the outcome. Even if they win, they're like, oh, they didn't win in the right. You know, they didn't win. Yeah. Good enough. Cubs, well, yeah,
0: Cubs fans got mad at Madden uh, throughout the offseason and he won the World Series. Yeah.
9: Well yeah, he, he kinda misused Araldo Shetman there down the stretch, yep, uh, down definitely. the last couple of games. You know, if, if there's a if there's a, if there's a first round exit here, they they don't get past the diamondbacks or Rockies in the first round, then I, I don't even wanna experience that. It just seems like <laughs> it would be a nightmare.
0: Yeah. Uh final question, we're asking each each uh guest on on the playoff preview uh what's what's the narrative if the Dodgers win it all what's what's kind of the thing that you can point to and say you know this is this is why they won it
9: their best players stepped up and their best being Clayton Kershaw uh Corey Seager Kenley Jansen those guys they they performed well um you can have all the depth in the world and it obviously has worked for them throughout the season it doesn't it doesn't mean as much come a five-game and two-seven-game series. Um, that's when your stars have to shine. And if if they do end up winning the World Series, it'll be because Clayton Kershaw put the team on his back, uh, Corey Seager and Justin Turner and guys put the offense on their collective back, and Kenley Jansen um, dominated out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, great. Uh, Dustin Nosler has been our Dodgers guest. You can check his work out at DodgersDigest.com. He does great work there. Dustin, thanks so much for joining us.
9: Thank you for having me
0: anytime. There's only one October! Our next team to preview is the New York Yankees. And to talk about the Yankees, we've got Andrew Mearns on the line. You can follow him on Twitter at MearnsPSA. Well, Andrew, we'll get right into it. I think it's been a very good year for the Yankees. Certainly not a perfect year. They've had their issues from time to time, um, but just been a really solid season. As you look back on the regular season, um, how would you characterize things?
10: Yeah, that this team had a lot of talent, but it didn't really seem like they were probably going to get quite to the playoffs this year. And not only did they get there, they pretty much ran away with that top card spot and almost stole the AL East from the Red Sox. And I'm pretty sure no one would have seen that coming at the beginning of the season. And I mean I feel like you could definitely say the same for Aaron Judge as well. People mm-hmm. knew he had a lot of power potential, but fifty-two homers, I I don't know about that.
0: Yeah. Uh as we think about the the playoff rotation specifically, uh obviously I think Severino is your number one. He'll be starting on Tuesday. But you know, if they beat the the twins, uh how do you see kind of one, two, and three lining up in the division series?
10: Um I would think they would probably go with Sonny Gray to start that division series opener. He's the guy they got at the deadline for to be the hired gun and he's gonna be on there for the next two years and he's definitely capable of throwing some elite performances out there. I'm sure we'll see Masahiro Tanaka and CC Sabathia in those third and fourth spots. I'm not sure who would go first necessarily. Since um, Tanaka has been up and down of late, he was absolutely brilliant in his last start with 15 strikeouts, but he's had problems with homers all year. And CC is the one, um, the one lefty that they have who can cause some. Who at this point in his career can cause some interesting problems for opposing teams just because he is that. He, he's sort of in that late career Andy Pettit mold where mm-hmm. he's sometimes able to get batters out even though he's not really throwing that hard anymore. Hmm.
0: What um what would you say is sort of a reasonable expectation? Uh, for the Yankees kind of, uh, progression in the playoffs, I think most people are projecting them or all people are projecting them to beat the twins. That would certainly be a disappointment, but you know, if they, for example, were to win that and then lose in the division series, do you think that's uh, a disappointment or can we still kind of deem this season a success?
10: I mean, there will always be legions of Yankees fans who are going to say World Series or bust, but I don't <laughs> think that's I don't think that's entirely fair for the team based on how you're going into the year with them. I think they do have the talent to go and make a really deep run in the playoffs, but at the same time, as long as they can get by the Twins in the Wild Card game, and even if the, if they fall to the Indians in the Division Series, that Cleveland team is just so loaded and they've been so good, especially late this year, that I don't think people should really be that disappointed about it. Obviously, I'm hoping that they can go as far as they can, mm-hmm. but as long as they get into that division series, they won't be disappointed. I am afraid of that Twins matchup, though. It feels like a big trap game, yeah. even though the Yankees have had success over the Twins in the playoffs in the past, but the past is the past.
0: So, Yeah. Man, one game—it's uh, a crapshoot, you know. There's exactly even, even when you have a heavy favorite in baseball, it's not—it's not like football or the NBA. Um,
10: yeah, and those—I uh, do remember actually. I went to a, a Yankees Twins playoff game back in 2004 that they lost because is the is the division series opener, and Johan Santana uh, just absolutely stifled them. Yeah. So who knows?
0: Yeah, um, for for fans that you know are more national haven't followed the Yankees that closely this year, is there a sort of a player or two? That you have your eye on that's maybe underheralded or hasn't been talked about enough. You know, obviously not judge. Um mm-hmm. but is there someone under the radar that we should be looking out for?
10: Um, Greg Bird has been really, really good since he got back from the disabled list this month. He's been on fire with several home runs in September. And he's a guy who with that short porch out in right field, he could definitely do some damage in a in, in the playoffs and he's had success off urban Santana in the past as well his first two career home runs are both offers on urban Santana in August 2015 and he's he's just shown that he's good he has really good ability to take care of that short porch if he can connect on one and another guy I would say is Aaron Hicks who also just recently came back from the disabled list and in his first game back he robbed a grand slam hmm. so you know he is he's the guy that he could also make a difference at the bat. And he was really doing well earlier in the season before he hit the DL.
0: Hmm. All right. Just a couple more questions. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit more about Aaron judge, obviously just a monster season. Nobody saw it coming. 50 homers, hundred RBIs, insane OPS. Um, I know he hit a little bit of a snag there in August after the all-star break, but are we back to seeing kind of the judge of the first half here down the stretch?
10: I think so. I mean, he just hit so well in September that pretty much just erased all the concerns I think most people would have had. He had 15 home runs in the month, which is easily his most productive month of the year. And that's saying a lot considering how hot he was in the first half. I mean, he's still a guy that will might very well strike out in half those playoff at bats. But as long as he can still run into some, then he's going to be a real difference maker in that lineup.
0: Have you seen like a specific way that pitchers that are successful with him attack him? Like, is it breaking balls away or fastballs up or anything like that?
10: Um, I think it's just it's, it's it's probably just about the same as with any hitter, just trying to get him to expand the zone a little bit and hope that maybe he's going to be pressing a little bit in his first playoff action. I mean, that's hard to say for sure, but sure. especially since he has a he's shown a very good eye too. He's walked like over a hundred times, at least 127 is the total that I'm looking at right now. So he has a good out at the plate, but sometimes he can expand the zone still just because he's so big.
0: Yeah. For a young hitter, let alone a rookie to have, you know, 50 home run power and an on base percentage of over 400. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And, you know, you sort of feel like you're watching history when, when he steps up the plate each time.
10: Yeah. I never really seen a rookie power season quite like this one.
0: Yeah. Final question here. Uh, We've asked this to, to each guest we've had on, but if the Yankees were to win the World Series, what are the things that would have to go right?
10: Um, I think you're going to need basically all that young talent to show that they can do the same thing in the playoffs, and then you're going to need that rotation to step up as well and really be able to curb the home runs that they that are possible to allow, especially in a place like Yankee Stadium. And you're going to need to see that bullpen Step up in one-run games as well. That's been a problem for the Yankees all year, which is kind of strange considering how loaded of a bullpen they have. But you know, Dylan Betances was super shaky down the stretch. Earlas Chapman lost at the closer's job at one point, point. and oddly, it's Chad, it's been Chad Green who's been who has hmm. had the best season out of the Yankees bullpen. It just it's really funny that he ended up there. But they're going to need him to pitch well as well if they're going to make a deep run.
0: Very good. Do you, uh, do you have a playoff prediction, or are you pr- a prediction guy?
10: Uh, I'm not really a prediction guy. I mean, I'm, I might as well just say what I think was going to happen and that the Yankees will probably beat the Twins in the wildcard game but then fall to the Indians in the Division Series. I, I just think that Cleveland team is too good.
0: Very good. Well, Andrew, uh, it's a pleasure having you on again. Um, folks, follow him on Twitter, like I said, at MernsPSA. Uh, thanks uh, for jumping on, and we'll be following your work this postseason.
10: Yeah, thanks for having me. There's only one October.
0: Next up on our list of playoff teams is the Minnesota Twins. And to talk about the Twins, we've got Adam and Drew on the line who run a podcast called Baseballogy, a much better name for a podcast (laughs) than A Foot in the Box. Uh, It's described as a (laughs) podcast where two (laughs) rational scientists talk irrationally about baseball. Uh, Adam and Drew, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for
1: having the time. Yeah, we appreciate it.
3: Looking
1: forward to the talk.
0: Yeah, um, I think this is the first time we've we've sort of had a, another full podcast on. Normally it's just one guest, so I'm excited. Um,
3: well, this is fun then. It's like a collaboration.
0: <laughs> Cross talk. <Yeah. laughs> uh, okay. Certainly okay. been a surprising season for the Twins. I would say kind of a near-unanimous preseason pick to finish fourth or fifth in the uh, the AL Central you know, they only won 59 games last year. I don't think anyone had them pegged as a playoffs team this year, and yet they, uh, they've they managed to squeak in as the second wild card. What's kind of been the uh, the key to their success uh, this year, or maybe a couple keys to their success? I'll
1: let you go first. Take oh. it away, man. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, man. So, keys to the success, I feel like, for the Twins is that uh, everyone has improved play discipline wise. Uh, that'd be the first thing that I would say. So, like last year, The Twins basically would just swing at anything, whether or not it was like three feet out of the strike zone or in the strike zone. Um, And usually it came with four results. So it started with the person that I normally think of in this scenario is Eddie Rosario, who will literally still swing at everything pretty much. But um, now basically everyone, if you look at like O-swing and C-swing percentages for the Twins, it appears that they are doing a lot more uh, swinging at pitches that are in the zone and making a lot better contact with pitches in the zone uh, as opposed to just, like, swinging at anything. Uh, They're a lot more selective. Yeah. So I think that's been a huge thing because we scored a lot more runs and our pitching still sucks.
1: But, you
3: know, we're at least trying. We're trying. We're scoring more runs. It's been fun to watch at least. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with Drew. I think uh, a big part of the increasing success, certainly from last year, Uh, is this maturity of the Twins' young core. And Eddie Rosario is one of those guys who is one of the, I'd say at this point, five or six guys in this young core who are just maturing and becoming better players. Uh, The other thing that I would mention, which also clearly involves the young core, is the defense. So Drew mentioned that the Twins' pitching is still bad. I mean, there's no question about that. It's not a good staff. (laughs) The bullpen is like average at best. I think it was a pretty average bullpen in the second half, um, a little below average overall for the entirety of the season. But even casual baseball fans who aren't twin fans or in Minnesota have probably seen on Sports Center or wherever at this point just ridiculous catches from Byron Buckson in Centerfield. Mm-hmm. So I think a big part of the improvement is yes, the pitching is still bad. They're not striking anybody out. You know, opposing hitters are still putting the ball in play, but a major difference from last year is those balls are getting caught. I mean, the Twins have one of the best defensive outfield in the entire league. I mean, they've just been absolutely incredible this year. And uh, the infield, you know, not so much. It's about average. Joe Maurer has been really good over at first base. Uh, Miguel Ceno, who moved back to his natural position at third, was also uh, – you know, around average at third base, uh, and those are pretty good at second. Blanco still are short, so uh, just really good defense. And uh, Jason Castro, who was the Twins' big offseason free agent signing, uh, I think has also made a difference. And uh, you know, more runners caught on the bases than Kurt Suzuki had to clean behind the plate last year. Maybe calling a better game, certainly a better pitch framer. So, yeah, I'm throwing it to the defense. cross to the defense.
0: Well that's
3: definitely not the pitching. I mean you guys even pointed it out on your website. I'm pretty sure Peter wrote something about like ranking the pitching staff by war. I think I remember <laughs> reading that a couple yeah, days ago. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the twins were at the bottom of that. You know, so, <laughs> you know I don't think anyone's surprised. <laughs>
0: no. yeah. yeah, uh well Buxton I think is, is the the player on the twins that I've always been most intrigued by. Uh he's had obviously a much better season this year. Than, uh, than previous seasons, he came in as a super hyped prospect. Probably in the last ten years, one of the most hyped of any of any prospects, just because of all the the tools that he that he had and the potential that he had. Uh, just walk us through mm-hmm. as a Twins fan. You know what's your experience of Byron Buxton? I'm sure at some points you were really disappointed, but this year it seems, especially late in the year, it seems like oh, man. that's been exciting. I
3: will run with this because uh, <laughs> I've been debating Byron Buxton, and actually the debate somewhat still continues um <laughs> I still don't believe in Byron Buxton's bat yet mm. uh he's had he put together a couple great months including like the end of the year last year everyone was all hyped like oh it's going to be great this year and then he spent the first three months of the year swinging and missing at like 60 percent of the pitches he swung at and it's just it's fun to watch him in the field but man I just am not sold on his bat yet like it's mm. just He's a really like bipolar player for me. I don't Adam will give the exact opposite story. He just loves Byron Buxton. I'm just
1: gonna hand it off to so he gets some <laughs> Uh Yeah, dude's right about that. Um, I've been with Byron Buxton. You know, even when he was struggling, as you guys mentioned uh, at the beginning of the season, and it wasn't just struggling. I mean, it was absolutely brutal uh, at the plate uh, with the strikeout rate being unbelievably high. Um, and just looking lost generally at the play, like horrible pitch recognition, um, swinging at balls he had no business swinging at, but, you know, I'm with him. Like I said, I, the defense has been great all season long. If you actually look at baseballreference.com real briefly and look at uh, the war rankings just on the Twins, he's number one and <laughs> really not that close, especially mm-hmm. for position players. Uh, you know, the the Twins city's media certainly um and maybe the national media as well have always been a fan or at least the last few seasons have been a fan of brian dozier uh and for good reason um but if you actually look at position player war on baseballreference.com Brian buxton is far away number one and we just talked about it uh on the podcast a few days ago how i think he's sitting at 5.1 or two and dozier's down at 3.9 so i mean it's the bat has come along in the second half. I don't have the number here in front of me, but um, the strikeout has gone down considerably. Uh, we're starting to see the power come back. He can bunt when he wants to and get hits. Every single is a double <laughs> because he steals bases like <laughs> crazy. Um, and I, I forget the number. I think he's stolen 24 consecutive bases. Hmm. Uh, he's only yeah, been he 21 for 29, I think. But, and the one time he was caught, he slid past the bag. He was, like, the throw didn't beat him. Um, Whoever the second baseman or shortstop was just did a really good job of keeping the tag down and getting him out. So um, I am definitely all with him. I was frustrated at the beginning of the season, watching him flail away at the plate a little bit. But he was great last September. He came along considerably, even through the team struggles. And then since the all-star break uh, this season as well, he's just been lighting it up at the plate. Um, in the field, and one thing you can see as you're just watching a Twins game is that he's having more fun clearly than he's ever had at the Major League Bowl. He's always smiling, messing with his teammates. Uh, it just looks like he's becoming a leader, which as a fan is really encouraging. Um, so yeah, I'm all about Byron Buxton. <laughs> uh, uh one uh,
0: one final question here on the Twins. You know, a question we've been asking uh, each of the the guests we've had on is. You know what would the narrative be or what sort of has to go right for uh, you know, the team you're covering to, to make it to the World Series? <laughs> Obviously with the Twins, I think they have the worst odds in Vegas of, of making the World Series. Not many people um, have much hope of them even getting past the Yankees, but in your estimation, um, what sort of has to go right? What would, what would need to happen for them to make it to the World Series?
3: Oh, man, have do you want to start with this one? <laughs> uh, what needs to happen to them to make it
1: to the World Series? Oh, boy. A miracle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would be a long-nosed the a miracle. I mean, really what would need to happen, and this would be pretty r- miraculous, is the starting staff in the bullpen would just need to be lights out for this team. Um, I am a believer in the lineup. Uh, I think the lineup, you know, they're going to score runs. There's not much question about that. They've actually, since the All-Star break in the American League, they've scored more runs than any other team. Hmm. Um, So definitely a believer in the lineup. Uh, Like I mentioned, the defense is absolutely incredible. It's been really good all season. But I think what we're, you know, worried about for the one-game playoff in New York as well as the rest of the playoffs, if we get there um, against really good teams like Cleveland, who they'd have to play first, um, <laughs> just be worried about the the pitching staff. Absolutely, I mean, if they they're starting Urban Santana on Tuesday, and if they get through that, uh, it's not even clear who the game one starter in Cleveland would be. Uh, but it, probably it would be
3: Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know, I'm gonna actually just go super specific here. I'm gonna say the narrative that I want to see the Twins have is. Kyle Gibson pitches like Madison Bumgarner pitches in the playoff. I don't think we've ever seen Kyle Gibson in the This is what I want to see. This is the narrative that I need to see happen. That's what I'm going for. Kyle Gibson becomes Madison Bumgarner, and then we'll start hitting him, too. We'll just put him as V8 or whatever. We'll get rid of our V8 and hit him as a pitcher. Boom. Next thing you know, we've got Kyle Gibson matching home runs and throwing shotouts, complete game. That's what I'm going for. I mean, I think that's what would need to happen.
1: Yeah, for the Twins to get to the World Series, that's what would need to happen.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Well, I uh, <laughs> appreciate your uh, your Twins thoughts. Uh, like I said, folks, uh, check them out, Baseballogy. is there. I know you've, uh, you have just started. Is there a specific episode you want to point people to?
3: Uh, we actually just did a super cool interview with former St. Paul Saints and actually former Texas Ranger Mark Hamburger hmm. uh, last week. Uh, I think it's like episode seven. That's a pretty sweet one to check yeah. out. Uh, he's,
1: a really, he's a really like introspective dude. So I'd probably say that one's the one that I'd recommend first. Awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. He gave some you know, unique perspectives on being a player. He's been in the major leagues. He was in major league organizations for like six or seven seasons. Now he's in independent ball, actually playing here in St. Paul. Uh, going to Australia to play soon. Uh, he's just a really interesting dude uh, who has some really unique perspectives on being a player. So, yeah, I think that's what we're to. Yeah,
0: Sweet. We'll go check him out, guys. And uh, you can also follow along online. I believe you guys have a Facebook page and or on Twitter as well. So check him out. Thanks for uh, jumping on, guys.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
7: Yeah, we appreciate it, for sure. There's only one October.